Let's pray. God, we're seeing so many things, even just in the announcements this morning, and that you're moving and you're doing things, God. You're using us to impact the world. You're using us to impact young people in our congregation in this valley. God, we just thank you for what you are doing, what you desire to do. Well, I pray that this morning as we go into this time of sharing, that you would open up our eyes and our hearts and help each person to hear the message that you have, as only you can do. God, we love you. We thank you for such a beautiful time in worship this morning. God, you are good. And there is nothing good in me. We honor you this morning. Bless the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I wanted to share, segueing into the message one, just a little bit about what happened in Guatemala. And I, um, went for, for the seven days and got back and was only sick for two days when I returned. So that's, that was pretty good. And, um, you know, they it just it seems no matter what happens, you know, my stomach just, it's, it's hard to live down there. And, uh, but I uh, had a great time, got, we took Brian down, introduced him to a lot of people. And when he comes back, I'm going to allow him to share. He took, he's hopefully taking a lot of pictures. I had to keep telling him. He, I think he was down there just with his eyes, just like, wow, look at all this stuff going on. I kept having to say, take a picture. Take a picture, you know, because he's soaking it all in. And, and so, so hopefully he got it and, he, and he'll bring some, some good pictures back. I don't want to share too much things that happened with him, but, but he was good when I left him. Haven't heard anything since then, so we assume that that's good. Otherwise, they'd be calling me to have him come and pick up the body or something, you know. <laughs> no, he's, he's, in, he's in great, great, great hands down there. We left him um, with Josue and Nancy Lemus are going to be working with them primarily, and there's some of our missionaries. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, about those things. I, I took a few pictures. Um, you go ahead and put up my slideshow if you would. Um, one of the things, my purpose is going down there was, was really, I don't know how many fold. The main purpose was to help Brian get established because he has a heart to serve on the mission field, possibly for the rest of his life. And, you know, he wants to go long term, and, and he really needed a good... Uh, uh, exposure to it. So that was the primary reason. The next big reason is that I wanted to connect in the ministry that Nancy and Josue are doing. And they're going to be here in December sharing, uh, sharing the word again and sharing some stories. And so that was the second reason. Of course, because we lived down there for three years, my third reason was just to visit all uh, the, the missionaries and, and people that we had met along the way. So I just want to share a little bit about Nancy and Josue's uh, ministry. This is kind of a collage of, of their, their ministry. Praise the Lord, God uh, provided an actual little uh, bus for them um, last year, and so they're able to transport all of these kids around. The Jeremiah Project is the project that they're working in and that they're in charge of, and they work with, with all these kids. This is actually a picture from inside the project, and what the, these kids were, were not able to attend school because their parents would make them work or they were just too poor to be in school. And it's not uncommon for schools, Christian schools in Guatemala, to pay students to go to school. Because if you don't, their parents won't let them attend the school because they'll make a few quetzal, a few, few dollars, 
shining shoes. And, and that would rob the family. So parents won't let their children go to school, often in third world countries, developing nations. And so um, often schools will, will provide income if they'll go to that school and they'll try to help change a generation. And so a lot of these kids, um, now a lot of kids they're working with were of the, among the poor poor of, of Antigua and also of a little place called Otto, um, which is just a little, uh, a little uh, pueblo up on the mountain, and they just, they can't, there's no transportation. It's miles and miles from the nearest public school, and they just weren't in school. So they, part of the project's purpose is to get them ready to enter school. Some of these kids are in 12, 13, 14 years old and starting first grade, and, and they, they don't know how to read or write. They're, they're very uneducated. So they work with them. They also uh, provide support to the family. They're they're trying to teach families how to how to uh, better themselves and do things good. Um, so th some of you know they they love all these kids. A lot of things they do is is they'll they'll teach them. They'll feed them one meal a day, and then they also t look for opportunities to play with the kids to help them uh, to have some other other types of joy. The girl you're seeing here on the left and the one in the previous picture is um, actually a girl that we, our life group adopted. And um, her name is Wendy. And Wendy, if you, you can kind of see, she's, she's pretty thin. Um, since we adopted her, we, we, they call us, we're, we're, we are her godparents. Padrinos. Nuestros son sus padrinos y padrinas. Um, we're supporting her financially through the project. They're not giving her money, but whenever a need comes up, they're trying to help that. So far, we, we've been a, a support of our life group, and it's really exciting that um, we've, got her to the dentist, helped to make some beds. We're going to see some pictures of. Um, she's actually got to go back to the doctor because the dentist found that she's got a heart problem and they don't know what that is and so she's going to go in. Um, she's been able to get some clothes and things like that and she's been able to gain a little bit of weight and she's just a little tiny waif of a 12-year-old. Um, go ahead and go to the next, next picture here. Um, this is actually just kind of a fun one. They took the whole group, the Jeremiah Project, down a couple of months ago to a pool in a little place called Esquintla. And these kids, they just had a blast. Most kids don't know how to swim in Guatemala. That's just not something, unless you live on the ocean, swimming is an extra. And they don't have a lot of extras. And so unless you live by the beach, so going to a pool it was just absolutely the first time for all these kids. And if you look, you can't see real well, but like in the top picture, the kid on the left, that's his underwear that he's wearing. They have no shorts. And so they wore whatever they had. Some of the girls, and we didn't get any pictures, would wear their traditional big Guatemalan skirts. And one boy, he didn't have anything to wear, and so he wrapped his school sweater around him backwards. And so it was kind of just draped over his front, and you got to see his, his bum sticking out the whole day at the pool. And, and, but they just had so much fun. And these are the, this is the types of people that, that Brian's working with now and, and the Jeremiah Project is working with. Go ahead and go to the next picture. Wonderful, beautiful children who need Jesus and need education. Um, now this picture, I got to go to Wendy's um, Tortilleria. That's her mom, Katarina. And um, she has eight children. They all live in the same little tiny place. and We're going to see that in a moment, except for one who moved uh, next door and one of the sisters moved next door and they make tortillas three times a day 
and that's that's their living now. Um, uh, tortillas, you, you they're they're about four cents or so a piece. So you get a couple tortillas for you know Quetzal, and and they make them not for the gringos. They make they they live and they work in the real poor area, so they're not making a lot of money. But that's what they do, and this is their little tortilla place. Go ahead and go to the next picture. This are some of the cousins of Wendy's cousins and her siblings. Um, Wendy's family has had kids now, and so precious little dirty kids, pretty much living on the street. We're gonna go keep going on the next one. This is the little alleyway to go to their house. Now, um, this was actually the first time I experienced this in Antigua because all the all the houses are on the street. You can't really see too far in there. Thank you. And so you have to walk back down this alley. And there is about 20 homes back here. Now we're going to see what a home is in just a second. They all they all live back in this little alley. They share ropes to dry their clothes, and of them, only I think one or two of them have a private toilet. The rest of them share two common toilets for 15 to 20 families. And go ahead and go to the next picture here. This is a house. That's the whole house, and you, you'll commonly see. Um, six, eight people in, in a house like this. This is the, the, uh, the house of uh, Wendy's sister and her kids now. And it's pretty dirty. It's, it's pretty, pretty messy. And she's not doing real well. Oops, go back one. This now is Wendy's house. Now, Wendy, has, has, her mom is a Christian. And Wendy's, uh, they, they all attend church. And they're getting some support now through the Jeremiah Project. And she's sitting on a bunk bed. Now, they all slept on the floor before all eight of them or on one little mat just little pads and so the jeremiah project came in and built bunk beds and so now everybody has uh there's there's six beds for seven people and so so they're really doing better go ahead and go to the next one you can see the bunk beds there the house is a little bit cleaner this is a uh, one of the nicer homes in this little back area they they have uh um but it's it's metal roofs cobwebs lots of spiders in it it's it's just uh pretty primitive um, and of course, that's that's Josue, and it's fun because he he's not a traditional Guatemalan. Uh, he's like the only one with dreadlocks around. Um, but he attracts the kids like crazy because of that. They all come up and touch his hair, and and so he's able to really make inroads, and he really loves the kids. Be praying. He's carrying a cane because he's still recovering from an Achilles Achilles tendon injury. I want to go to the next one. Um, Wendy wanted me to take a picture of her on her bed. That top one is her bed. And, and you can see the, the bricks. I mean, it, it's bricks. You can see the light coming in. That's the roof. So, the, of course, the light comes in. The, the rain can come in a little bit. If you notice carefully, she has one blanket. That's all she has. And that foam has no cover or no sheet on it. And so, obviously, it's going to get dirty. It's going to have bugs and things in it. And this is better than what she had before. Go ahead and go to the next picture. Um, so, so that was Wendy. Keep it on this one for just a minute. And they're helping people, but they're not giving. You know, their their purpose is not to give money. Most of what they're trying to do is teach and train, bring families together, help the parents know how to parent, help the fathers to get back in the house, or or get out of the house. The Guatemalan men, uh, high alcoholism, um, high adultery. Uh, there's just it's it's extremely common for them to have multiple families and they bounce from house to house and don't support any of them well and so Wendy I, I should have brought her letter she wrote to our group but I'll be reading that on, on Wednesday at the life group but 
she talked about her dad, and he's an alcoholic, but sometimes he comes and bring meat, brings meat. And that sounds like he brings, about every couple of months, he'll bring meat home. Other than that, he's hardly ever at the house, and he's an alcoholic. Um, one of the things we found out about Wendy and her, her uh, little sister is they both get a lot of urinary tract infections. In the States, when a, ch a young girl is getting urinary tract infections, it's because she's being sexually molested, almost always. Try to talk with them about that. They don't believe that's happening. But you live with 20 neighbors all around, and it's, it's, it's possible, if not likely. Now, she doesn't show a lot of the signs. Uh, Wendy doesn't show a lot of signs of being, being molested, but it's, it's possible. And they're living in these conditions all the time. So now this, this next picture is just, I just took a few snapshots of the Jeremiah Project. That's their peel in the kitchen, and that's one of the, the helpers there, and those other three girls. Go back one if you could, or two now. Sorry. Um, you can't see them real well, but th these girls are all wearing the traditional Guatemalan clothing with their, 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 uh, the typical ropa. And, and it means that they are indigenous rather than um, of the... I guess the Latin, you know, the Spanish descent. Because of that, there'll be problems sometimes in life. They won't, they won't be able to have as good of jobs typically. They'll, they'll work harder and earn less money. But they're getting an education. They're getting loved on and, and ministered to. Go ahead and go to the next one. And uh, the next one's actually even the better one. You can see a little bit better. These are just some of the kids. They bring their siblings in. And Josue has an amazing heart for them. Uh, he, his heart is so much bigger than what they're able to do right now. It, you know, just a simple project. Their funding is is a couple of churches like us, and that's it. There's no big groups. One one large group start has been coming down now. Missions, what was it? Um, missions adventure or something, and they're coming down, and they're the ones who actually help to build the bunk beds. And so every day, about three or four hours, the kids will come in here. They'll eat. They'll get tutoring. And, and then they'll, you know, as people will begin to support individual people more, Josue spends a lot of time taking the kids to doctor appointments and going to the families and doing things like that. So it's a multi-tiered tiered ministry. You're going to hear more about that in December, so I guess I'll shut up. Go ahead and go, and I don't know if there's much more. And I want to show you this picture. This is Panahachel. Ed remembers Panahachel. We got some great pictures back in 1995 when we were there. 19, yeah. Um, and I just kind of laid this out. This is just from, from a, a little rest stop on the way down into Panahachel. Those are all volcanoes. All the mountains you see are volcanoes. It is as lush as it looks. It's extremely green. You can grow anything there. And it's, it's just amazing. You, the, you know, of course, coffee is a main export. Um, they, uh, another, they have another export that they, they, they thrive on. It's cardamom and bananas and, and, of course, drugs. And so they have a lot of exports. But my, my question is, is how can a land so lush, so fertile, be so poor? It's just metals with me. They have resources. They have vegetation. Yet they scrape for food. And I believe it's spiritual as well as natural. There's an absolute lack of education, but let's all go back thousands of years. There wasn't a lot of education going on. There is spiritual things happening in, in this, this country 
that happens all over. And I believe, and these are just my thoughts, but one, the country is extremely wrapped in idolatry. It was Mayan, which, you know, they're preparing. Some of them are preparing for December 21st. The end of the world is coming for them. Um, you cannot get a hotel anywhere close to Tikal. The hotels are completely booked and all the Mayan ruins because people are flooding there for the, for the end of the world events. But in the Mayan religions and the indigenous, there's a lot of idolatry that goes, that goes on. And when the Catholic Church came, when they came and conquered and began to set up, one of the things that they did is they realized that there was a lot of idolatry. These people were uh, really idolaters. And so the, the Spanish, without maybe not intentional, they said, no, no, you've got it all wrong. Jesus is Lord. The Catholic Church is the church. And we're going to give you some new idols to worship. And they exchanged Mayan idols for the idols of the Catholic Church. And so the Catholic Church there is still steeped in idolatry. And it's, it's not pure Christianity. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of animosity between the Catholics and the evangelicals. But this idolatry has, has caused a spiritual root, I believe, that's, that's causing problems. There is corruption like crazy in, in so many facets of government. A few years ago when we were there, uh, the people, there was uh, Cologne, one of the guys who was, it wasn't, he was one actually who won, the guys who was running for president, uh, a number of people says, we hope that he wins. And I says, why? Is he a good man? He goes, no, but he's rich. And if he's already rich, maybe he won't steal from us anymore. That was the purpose of picking a president. Corruption is just all over. Um, and so you have this amazing land that should be able to support life, but it's spiritually decayed. And that comes, in, comes out in the natural resources as well. And so, you know, the world is, is all around is like that. And, and we ourselves are slipping into a moral decay, idolatrous. We, idol, we idolize money. We idolize the physical beauty. And we've got to be very careful because I believe that a natural decay happens because of the spiritual running into corruption. Um, so be, be in prayer for them. On, on so many wonderful things are happening there also. Uh, as far as I was thinking about the corruption, one of the, my spiritual sons, Abner, he's working with the, the church that is now in the ministry location that we started. And he, they got an opportunity, Pastor, you're going to love this, Abner, and, and some of the guys. They, they are now ministering in Guatemala City to the police academy. And they've got invited in to come and pray over all of the area because actually there is, they're, hearing, um, they're hearing and seeing dead people, visions of ghosts and things happening. They're, all, they're, they're very freaked out. So they've been invited to come to pray over the area. Then they're gonna, they, they would like them to show a movie. They're going to show um, Courageous in Spanish, which is the, the Christian movie about the, the police, policeman. And they're going to go and get to pray. And there's 1,700 new police officers in the academy right now. And they've got, they're the only people who've been invited in. And they're, they're, they're coming in to minister the gospel of Jesus and pray for these new police officers. Now, you go, well, that's kind of a neat thing, but you've got you've to understand that the police are corrupt. And so imagine the change. If you can begin to impact the police before they get corrupt, 
and to be go out on the streets and become godly men and godly women in uniform, it's, it, it could change the, the nation on, on, a, on a level. And the, of course, so many of the other ministries down there are working with children because you you, you got to change change this the next generations to not follow the footpath footprints of, of their parents and so that was really a wonderful thing going on um, we uh, just just so so many so many great things lot, of course the orphanages and Brian's going to share probably a little bit about some of the orphanages he encountered while we were there so much poverty and so many kids on the streets without hope and one of the girls that we saw was a, a real special one to Josue and she for months Corey you might remember we were, we were praying for this girl that she was the one who was would get out of her house but then she'd go back to her house while she was being abused and it was a horrible home situation she was actually being at times being forced to sell her body to support the family wasn't allowed to go to school finally they they got a court order to get her taken out of the home and she's now in a, in a Christian orphanage. We're praying that she does not go sad, praying that she does not go back to her home unless her mom gets a radical conversion. And so Josue was able to see her and and but these young girls that we encountered at Casa Alleluia uh, reminded me of my first trip down with with Gary. Um, remember the two girls that were with us, the prostitutes. 12 and 13 year old prostitutes and we spent you know time in a, in a service with them same same orphanage and I'm looking at these little tiny girls and you can tell they've been you know they have some English lines that they use they've been abused they've been sold for prostitution and so much work so much so many things have to be done but they has to be done you know here, here as well um, We think, wow, God, what's what's happening in the world? What what is our response? Even the missionaries struggle with what the response should be, because the need is so big. And what's the most important thing? And, and the missionaries debate. Some people go and say the only thing that's important is Jesus. Doesn't matter if you feed them. It doesn't matter if you give them clothes. Doesn't matter. Just Jesus. And some go. Jesus doesn't matter. You only have to feed them. You only have to educate them. And you know what? What's our call as, as Christians? And Pastor Floyd, I heard his message last week, and our response needs to be that of Jesus. And Pastor Floyd last week preached a great message and talked about four different aspects. And the first being that that Jesus Himself had a spiritualistic worldview. And that governed his life. He was different. And the way he saw the world was spiritually. And I want to talk about that this morning in, our, in the rest of our, our time here. Because if we don't get this and understand this about Jesus and then apply it to ourselves, we're going to be in trouble. So I, I thought about the, the topic of the mess. Go to the next slide. was going to be WWJD. Simply, what would Jesus do? And I, and I realized, don't go there yet. Oh, oh okay. that's okay. No, that, that's fine. That's fine. Okay, you're good. Um, what would Jesus do? I forgot I put that one in there. And, and that was leaving a little bit to be desired. What would Jesus do? Because also, if we only think of that, 
we'll end up only doing, but we might not understand why. So instead of WWJD, this morning's message is called WDJD WJD. <laughs> and that stands for why did Jesus do what Jesus did? Why did he do what Jesus did? That's his spiritualistic worldview. Jesus did what he did because he, he had a, a vision that was different. He was, he, was, he was God incarnate, came in the flesh, but he maintained a spiritualistic view of the world when he was here. Otherwise, he would not have been able to accomplish what he accomplished. Jesus understood and had a view that superseded the world. The definition of worldview, we've, we talked a little bit, of, Floyd talked about last week, we've, we've talked about that, but I love the definition simply. The overall perspective from which one sees and interprets the world. The overall perspective from which one sees and interprets the world. Another definition is a collection of beliefs about life and the universe held by an individual or group. But I like the first one because it uses the word perspective. Worldview isn't, I was going to say fijo. It's not fixed. It's not... It's not solid all across. It's a perspective that people have. Every one of us in here has a world view. The way we interpret and we view the situations that we see in the world, in politics, in, in third world countries, because of our education, because of our upbringing, because of our religion, these things help to determine our perspective and the way we see and interpret the world. The problem is many of our worldview worldviews are corrupted, they're broken, they've come from faulty places. I've been realizing even in the last couple of years, as having a conversation, that I remember being taught certain things in in school by my teachers. And every once in a while I will spout off something that I was taught as truth by a teacher still to this day. Simple, silly things even sometimes. Um, even, even in, I, I've never been able to, to find out if this is true, but I was told by one of my, my uh, history teachers that the first discoverer of America was actually a Chinese guy. There's a story about a guy named Weishan, and it was like thousands and thousands of years ago. And that has always stuck in my, my mind as truth because my teacher taught it to me that we shone, and, and they said, you know, it was before the pilgrims and all that, but they came over and they actually landed on, in California somewhere, and there's a story and a legend. I don't know if it's true, but for me it's been true. See the problem with that? It became truth and it affected ideas of mine, simple things. What about the deeper ideas? The deeper things that we've been taught by our parents, by teachers, they're in there. And we may never have questioned it because when they came into your life, you were young and impressionable. The person who taught you was an authority figure in their life and maybe in everything else was, had really good motives. But maybe some of the things they taught you were we shun. So what is our worldview is extremely important to understand how we, we relate and how we live this world. Jesus had that spiritualistic worldview and that governed him that that gave him his goal and his 
purpose to live. When he walked on the earth, he was 100% man. I, I can't understand that. How can you be 100% God and 100% man? Someday, maybe. But we'll just, we take it by faith that when he walked, he was governed by the natural forces, yet he could supersede them. He felt pain, sorrow, agony, compassion, joy. He felt, experienced everything. He's 100% man. He had to deal with family relationships. Thanksgiving's coming. Some of us are going to be thinking about that. Family relationships. They're not always fun. You know, Jesus was a half-brother. Did, did he ever have to deal with that around the table? Did the kids ever talk about that? Because he was really not the true son of Joseph. Hmm. He had friendships. He probably worked. I'm sure that Joseph made sure he learned the family business. He experienced everything, but throughout the life of Christ, Jesus maintained a spiritualistic worldview, and that's why he superseded everything. I want to give just a, a couple of ideas on that. One, he walked. How did he do that? He walked not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He felt, but he didn't walk according to the flesh. He walked according to the Spirit. He understood the things of God, and he chose to live them out. In Matthew 4, we read about the temptation in the wilderness, and that's the, the, the example of how Jesus was tempted in the, in the natural, in the flesh. But he, he superseded it knowing that he had a spiritual job to accomplish on this earth. He was tempted when he was hungry. He says, turn these rocks into bread. He says, no, man shall not live by bread alone. Spiritual view, not governed by the flesh. That is one of our big battles, is that we, we wrestle with the flesh and, and the flesh can be natural, just hunger and things like that. If you've ever tried to fast, boy, the flesh comes in. You know? But we also we we wrestle with emotions. We might know that we're supposed to do this, but our emotions are calling us to do something different. How many people in their life have dated or even married the wrong person because they just really, really really loved them. But yet the Word said, don't be unequally yoked. The spiritual side says, this is not what God has for you, but they give way to the flesh. Jesus walked not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we see that. He was also eternally minded. Jesus had an eternal mindset. Everything He did was based on what, what value it had in eternity. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. The joy was not yet. The joy was to come. The joy was seeing us forever in heaven. The joy was the salvation of man, which though we're saved now, the, the finality and the fullness of our salvation doesn't come until we're in heaven, until we forever with Christ, free from the mortal, free from the flesh, free from the devil. And for that joy, he had an eternal mindset. 
If he would have gone off into the flesh, if he would have gone into the temporary, he would have said, I'm not going to do this because it hurt too much. But he did it for us. He did it for eternity. A third thing. He, he, so he walked according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He was eternally minded. He also knew that his warfare was spiritual. He knew that battles, though they present themselves in the flesh, are so much spiritually based. And that's something that we in this nation more and more have to, to, to get. We've walked so far away from it. I was brought back to it again in Guatemala when these are bigwigs in the police department who are asking Christians to come because they hear ghosts walking in the hallways. That's not going to happen up here. We don't have a spiritual mindset. We, we relegate everything to somehow in the natural, but Jesus understood that there was a spiritual world and that his battles and the warfare were spiritual. He was spiritually minded. For us, the commands come in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's, let's go ahead and go to Ephesians 6. We've got to open up our Bible a couple times today. Not just refer to it. In, in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, we have that section that, that you know the kids memorize, and hopefully we did too, the whole armor of God. But key in especially on verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness, of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is a statement for us, but Jesus fully understood this. He, he had conversations with the devil. He knew about the spiritual war and the spiritual realm and the warfare in the spiritual. Because of that, he didn't focus on the attacks of man. He knew that they were spiritually governed. Everything is spiritual, it's been said. Everything is spiritual to him who is spiritual. Jesus knew that the, the devil wants to see man in hell. And that the devil, the enemy, he comes in in the form of man to get us off track. And he put his face, he put his face towards the prize and he kept walking. He knew his warfare was spiritual. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. Spiritual things. 2 Corinthians 10 also, just go back to the left a little bit. The whole, whole section of, of 2 Corinthians 10 is in, in the New King James. It says the spiritual war. I love verse 4 because it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse 3, going up once, As though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We're in these natural bodies, but our warfare is spiritual. And Jesus knew the same thing. He had a spiritualistic worldview. And, and also for he knew, he understood that God was in the miracle business. He had a spiritual view, so when things happened, He would heal. 
he would cast out demons. He would walk in gifts of knowledge, supernatural knowledge. He walked in the gifts of prophecies. Throughout Jesus' life, he walked in all the spiritual gifts that are then given to the believers because he knew that life was spiritual. And I tell you, living in this world is hard to remember that things are spiritual. Now, I don't think that we should always be seeing every, a demon behind every chair and, and you know, you know, the devil, devil made my car break down. I believe that, that can happen. But I believe that, you know, we live in a fallen world. There's a lot of things that happen because we live in just a simple fallen world. A lot of things happen to you and to me because we haven't taken care of business. I remember years ago, my, 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 one of my older brothers was in a Christian band and, and he was traveling down to, to Orange County for their practices and his car broke down when he was there. He was supposed to come home and his car broke down and he's like, well, you know, maybe God wants me to stay one more night. And, and his band leader, very spiritual man, says, well, maybe your car's a piece of junk and you should fix it. <laughs> you know, there isn't always a demon behind every broken down car. But sometimes there is. You know, we live in a spiritual, we live in a spiritual kingdom. And Jesus had, had the gift of discernment. He walked in discernment. That's one of the gifts that we can walk in, a discerning between natural and spiritual. Most of us, I, I, I believe that we probably spend way too much time walking in the natural. When things and problems come up, we counsel and we get advice. And, or do we pray? Is it spiritual or is it natural? Jesus knew the difference and he knew when to act in the natural and act in the spiritual. He walked in all of these things. He, he, he did these things too, not only to bring glory to God, but because he had compassion. He did his miracles and healings. He wanted to bring glory to God, but he also had compassion on people. So many times you're reading in the New Testament when Jesus did a miracle or did this, he says, having compassion. Having compassion. Jesus was spiritual, and yet even in the, in, it, when the natural would come up into him, the com natural compassion, he was able to walk right into the spiritual and affect something in the spiritual realm that he saw in the natural. They, they collide all the time. But Jesus kept his spiritual worldview always there, and that's what allowed him to walk in the, walk in the supernatural like that. That's what caused him to, for the joy set before him, endure the cross. So what about us? See, we need to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We need to adapt and to understand that we should have a spiritualistic worldview and everything around us is crying out natural worldview. Secular, humanistic worldview. Theological worldview, but maybe not even spiritual. There's so many battles that are facing us every day and, and if we want to be like Jesus we need to get not just a biblical or a theological worldview but we have to get a spiritualistic worldview and understand that we walk in the flesh but we live in a spiritual kingdom and that's not going to happen instantaneous because we have these mindsets and these things that are all about us that are warring for us not to go and understand this world from a spiritualistic point of view. 
You have Christians that will war against you and begin to say, you're just so spiritually minded that you're no earthly good. We need to, be, we need to get the, the mind of the Spirit. And how do we do that? I believe, and I had you turn from there, but in verse 18 of Ephesians 6 is the first part. It says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. In order to begin to get the spiritual side, I believe the first, first order of business is to pray. Spend time with God. Get into His presence. Begin to see the spiritual side. Now, not just a petition type of prayer. Those are important. Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That is something we're supposed to do, but why? Is it just because it will make us feel better because we've prayed? Or is prayer a spiritual act? We pray for things because there's a spiritual answer going to come. And so we're supposed to come and pray and ask for things and put, put our requests to God because there's an answer that's going to come. Going on in verse 7, it says, The peace of God which transcends understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need to pray. We need to become people of prayer and, and even dash apart the, the idea that you have when you hear the word pray. Prayer doesn't look like this. No, prayer is communication and time spent in God's presence. You know, it can have a lot of different forms, but it's not just about, oh, I've got to pray for my meal or I've got to pray for this. It's that spending time with Almighty God and beginning to do what He says Throughout Revelation, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. We have to get a spiritual ear, and we'll do that through prayer. Begin to discern the voice of God from the voice of the flesh. Pray, pray, pray. As we do that, that's how we become in Christ more. We can't just do things for God outside of being in Him. But how do you be in Him? It's by spending time with Him. Know the heart of God. Walk with Him. Now, one of the issues with, with prayer and meditation is that during that time, we hear other voices. I don't know if anyone would be bold enough to admit it, but there's been times you're praying about something and you get this this an unctioning. It must be from God because it happened during prayer. And you spiritualize a thought or feeling or emotion. Now, now, God moves in those things. He moves in those ways sometimes, but sometimes it's not the anointing. It's just a quiver in your liver. How do you know the difference? We've got to pray for discernment, but we also have, praise the Lord, we have the filter of the Word that's going to confirm the, the, the voice of God. It's going to confirm the moving of God at times. We become people of the Word who know, know the heart of God and know the character and the nature of God from beginning to end. talked about this before. If you just see the God of the Old Testament, you're going to see an angry, warmongering God. And some people like that side of God. That gives them a lot of justification to do a lot of crazy things. If you only see 
certain parts of the New Testament, you're going to see that God doesn't really hate sin at all. That he just says love, love, grace, grace, and everybody's okay. When you get the whole counsel, it gives us a good filter and a good grid so that we can become like Jesus and begin to build that spiritualistic and biblical worldview. One of our biggest biggest tasks, I believe, comes in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. We pray. We read. But then something crosses your path. And, and the reading, the praying were there, but now you're angry and you're emotional. And what are you going to do? You're tempted to, to just go off and do it your own way. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-6 The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Strongholds are those things built up in the mind. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. But I really love it. I just love her. I love her. I love her. And I know she's not saved, but I should marry her. That thought is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. And you pull that stronghold down. And you say, no, that's, that's not according to the Word. That's not according to spiritualistic what God has got for me. Being ready. Being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We need to pull down these, these strongholds and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know, Jesus after... I, I love the way in Matthew 4 it says... After 40 days, Jesus was hungry. Uh, after one day, Rob was hungry. <laughs> after one meal, after 40 days, Jesus was hungry. I think he was famished. I mean, really. He was hungry. I think that he had to pull down some arguments when Satan said, you have some bread right now. Because he was tempted, the Bible says, in all things, just as we are. How did he, he pull down that thought? Put his eyes eternally minded. He knew that his, his adversary was spiritual and not flesh. It wasn't his hunger. The adversary in that moment had nothing to do with the hunger. It was the devil trying to usurp his authority over him. And he began to see these and recognize these. He says, no, I'm in a spiritual war here. Because we'll, we'll, we'll justify and say, it's just a piece of bread. There's nothing wrong with a piece of bread. It's just a glass of wine. There's nothing wrong with a glass of wine. It's just a little lie. There's nothing wrong with just a little lie. We live in a spiritual world. And what are the spiritual implications that we're joining us our, ourselves up to and being in agreement with? And take down those arguments and say, no. I walk in the Spirit. I live in the Spirit. I'm not going to wage war in the flesh any longer. Looking to Jesus for, for that example, that spiritual worldview is, is so important, but only if, it's only important if we will begin to adapt it and apply it to ourselves. We need to pray, God, help me to have your mindset and begin to see things in the spiritual realm just as you did. I don't want to walk in the natural. Because in the natural, life is pretty poop, poopy right now. You know, in the natural, 
you know, wow, this election's coming up. Finances are so bad, you know, and this is happening. You know, once I, my trip to Guatemala was wonderful because I realized my finances aren't very bad at all. But my worldview, because it's an American worldview, sees all these things happening around and going, wow, the end of the world is here and what are we going to do in the next couple of weeks and what's going to happen? And then you go to a third world country and realize that two-thirds of the world has been living like we're afraid to live their whole life. Poverty and corruption and problems. And... But the spiritual worldview says, my neighbor needs Jesus. My kids need to be raised in the fear and the admonition of the Lord so that they'll walk with Jesus. Spiritual worldview says that finances are not the whole world, but the lost and souls are. Even in the church, we have a, a worldview trying to come in, and it's been coming in for some time with the prosperity gospel. Jesus doesn't want to necessarily give you a Rolls Royce. But He does want to provide for you. And He's going to give you everything you need for life and godliness in Him. And for some, for some reason, it might be a really nice car. And for others, it's a, it's a moped or a scooter or some roller skates to get around on. But what's the spiritual worldview? You know, a spiritual worldview is going to be able to be preached and understood no matter what nation you live in, it's going to be the same. Because it's based on spiritual things, not on natural. Tap into Him. Begin to look at Jesus. Begin to look at the methods and the, the way He lived His life. He was eternally minded. He, he believed. He knew the supernatural. When things begin to go wrong, we can begin to turn our hearts and say, God, Help me to see what's happening here. Is there something that I need to see in the, super, in the supernatural? Begin to pray and talk and expect Him to answer and open, open your spiritual eyes. Let's pray. God, You've called us here to, to love and to serve You. You've called us to be salt and light in the earth, God. And Sometimes we go out there in our own strength. We go out there walking in the flesh trying to do kingdom work. God, help us to be like Jesus. Help us to have a spiritual worldview. To see things beyond just the natural results that we're seeing in the world, but spiritually. Let us be mindful and aware and pursuant of the things of God. Lord, when trials and tribulations and fears come up, even things that we're going through, God, of, of elections and, and possibilities, Lord, help us to go first to You. And know, God, that we have so much to rejoice in. God, that we've read the end of the book and we know that we win. God, that You've called us to be the head and not the tail. Help us to get our eyes off of the natural and into the spiritual realm, God, and forgive us. And Lord, I, I openly confess, forgive me for growing pessimistic and overcome by 
issues and problems in the natural. God, help me. Lord, let me be as a psalmist. I lift my eyes up into the mountains where my help comes from. I look to you, Lord, and, and ask that you would help me to continue to see you to be my, my life, my guide, my everything. God, help us to spur one another on and in this pursuit of living and walking spiritualistically in this fleshly world. God, we are grateful for your blessings, for your presence, for your life. Help us each day to cherish those things. Be mindful of all of your blessings, even in the difficult times, especially in the difficult times. God, we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.